Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. Colby, did you have a, a good weekend with the, uh, we had a lot going on, the NFL draft, we had the PGA Tour in Mexico, and baseball sweeping the Shorthorns. It was an action-packed weekend. It was an action-packed weekend, and my wife was gone. She had a bachelorette party this weekend. I, I was a single dad, so it was daddy-daughter weekend, which was a lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, my wrists are almost tired and sore from using that broom so much yesterday. Hook them horns, baby. I thought you were going to say from cleaning the house since the wife was gone. Uh, no, the wife did come home to a very clean house, but, uh, we have gotten very lucky. We have a very good baby that almost never makes noise unless she's hungry. And as soon as you feed her, she goes right back to being quiet and happy. Uh, nothing that we did. We just got really lucky to have a good baby. That's awesome. Hopefully that uh, trend continues into the terrible twos, but you got a long way to go till then. So that's, that sounds like a good time. Uh, we got lots to talk to, as I mentioned, but first let's hear from Chris's university spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Colby, I've been trying to find kind of the tricolor OS baseball hat and mm-hmm. I'm having trouble finding it online. So I'm gonna have to, next time I'm up in Stillwater, I'm gonna have to go over to Chris's and give me a baseball hat. I've got I've got a little bit of baseball fever now that OSU's got a, you know, the third ranked team in the country coming off a sweep against Texas. I'm going to have to go to Chris's and get a new lid. Yeah, no doubt about it. We were up there last weekend for the TCU series. It was great to be out at O'Bright and sweeping Texas. We'll get into it a little more later in the show, but just about guarantees that Oklahoma State will be a national seed and will be hosting all postseason games uh, between the start of the tournament to the trip to Omaha at O'Bright Stadium. So I would imagine all of Stillwater is going to have baseball fever here in just a few weeks. Yeah, it's about time. Uh, O'Bright deserves that setting. The The program, obviously, the way they've been trending deserves that setting. That should be fun here coming up in just a few weeks. But you're right. We had a big story with the NFL draft, Colby. I, I'm a draft-aholic. Like, dating back to when I was in college, I would watch, like, every single pick. And uh, I thought this was one of the more wild, entertaining first rounds I can remember. And, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't like, you know, the – the number one consensus pick, the one you just know is going to be a star in this trap. I thought kind of the unpredictability of the first round was pretty entertaining. Yeah, it definitely was. It's when you say you would walk, watch every pick back in the day, do you mean like seven rounds over three days? Well, yeah, but I would have it just kind of on and I would glance up if they, once the, like once ESPN makes that little ding, 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 you know, like the picks coming up, I would just kind of glance up and watch, but I was doing other things in college, as you know, I, I might've been, having a, a yardie or something but I was I, I kept an eye on it one eye on it and then one one eye on the rest of, of Stillwater that's fair I thought the way you made it sound I thought that you were like actively watching every pick and like trying to google and see who all these guys are and like at, for three days for seven rounds that would be psycho behavior uh yeah, but no. I had much less going on then too which helped but no I wasn't that like once they start drafting like corners from Fresno State or or wherever else I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of tuned mostly out, but I like to keep it on in the background. So Yeah, I had it on in the background uh, all three days, but really only paid attention to it uh, Thursday night and parts of Friday night. Uh, Yeah, it was good. It was entertaining in that first round. The only quarterback taken was Kenny Pickett, which nobody really expected. Going to Pittsburgh, it seems like they're just going to kind of keep swinging uh, until they hit on a quarterback. 
because uh, they've got to replace Big Ben, and they certainly don't have that guy on the roster right now. Uh, but, yeah, it was very entertaining, and it was late in day three before we got to the really marquee items for Oklahoma State fans. I was a little surprised. I know measurables mean everything to these scouts because it's so hard to go to your general manager and to go to your owner and, and talk about intangibles. And so much of what Malcolm, so much of what makes him great are the intangibles, Carson. And I feel like that stuff just doesn't show up on a sheet of paper. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, his, his bench press at the pro day was really impressive. I don't know. Were you surprised he was on the board as long as he was? Yeah, yes and no. I mean, coming into it before, you know, several weeks ago, if I had to, you know, wager on it, I would have predicted he wasn't going to get drafted just because he was overlooked due to his size. I know he tested well with the 40-yard dash and the, the bench press and the, and, and the 40, or I'm sorry, the, the vertical leap. But I just, the NFL, like those scouts, they're putting their job on the line if they take a guy that doesn't have prototypical measurables and guys just aren't willing to do that. We've seen that time and time again, in the NFL draft. So I was actually pleasantly surprised he was drafted in the sixth round, but I, but no, I, I guess I, I coming into the actual draft, there was some buzz around Malcolm, like the week of the draft to where my opinion kind of changed where I did think he was going to get drafted. I just didn't know how high. So sixth round. Yeah. You would have liked to see him go in the fourth or fifth, but I think it's a success in the fact that he was drafted based on, you know, his quote unquote measurables that the NFL was able to overlook that and, and view him for what he is. And he was the best linebacker in college football last year for my money. He may not have the NFL pedigree of, you know, the Georgia guys or, you know, all the guys at Alabama, things like that. But in terms of production and, and just a football player, he was the best linebacker in college football last year. Yeah. And that's why I talk about the intangible stuff because so much of that, it's just, how do you, I mean, obviously you can watch film, but guys are still going to lean back on the measurables and the 40 times and the hand size and all that stuff. But you watch Malcolm Rodriguez play the guy. He just knows the game. He knows where the football is going. He, he knows how to shed blocks. Brian Baldinger posted a video on Twitter last week. It was like two minutes of Malcolm Rodriguez just shedding blocks and being in the right place where he needed to be at all times for Oklahoma state. And I mean, Oklahoma State was the second-best defense in the country last year. I, I thought that they were a clear-cut number two behind Georgia, which was one of the all-time great defenses we've ever seen in college football. And Malcolm Rodriguez was absolutely the anchor and the best player on that team. And I, I don't know. I, I want to balance what I know is my internal bias. I went to Oklahoma State. I'm an Oklahoma State guy. I know I have those biases. But, but I still look at Malcolm Rodriguez play football, and I just – I'm watching all these linebackers get drafted from Montana State and Chattanooga and Eastern Tennessee, and I'm like, are you telling me that because this guy's an inch and a half taller and runs four hundredths of a second faster, you're telling me that that guy is better at this than Malcolm Rodriguez? Because I don't believe that. Malcolm Rodriguez played high-level Division One Power 5 college football on the second-best defense in the country, and he was easily the best player. He stood out in every single game. It, it just... I don't know. I try to balance my biases with the fact that I just know deep down Malcolm Rodriguez is going to be a better player in the league uh, than about 20 of those linebackers that got taken ahead of him. Yeah. And I, what was confusing to me is like when he was actually drafted, you know, the much of the analysis on NFL network and ESPN was he's going to need to stay clean. He's going to need the defensive line to keep blockers off of him based on his size, but that doesn't really match up with what you were talking about. What we all watched is, he was one of the best linebackers in the country of getting off blocks. Even there was a lot of highlights of his where he's literally being held 
still sheds the blocker and still makes the tackle. And that's before you get into his instincts that you referenced and, and all the things that make him a great linebacker. I just kind of thought the analysis of him on him was, was less accurate than the player we actually saw because his size wasn't a detriment going up against, you know, some NFL quality offensive linemen and, and blockers in the big 12. And that didn't seem to bother him at all. But so he'll, what you were very critical of him going to the lions. I think I disagree with you on this, but just, I, I get where you're coming from with the way they ruined Barry Sanders career and the fact they haven't, they haven't been to the playoffs in like 50, 60 years, but just kind of lay it out for me why you were so disappointed in him going to Detroit. Yeah, they've been to the playoffs. A couple of those years with Stafford and Calvin Johnson, they just haven't won a playoff game. That's right. They haven't won a game in 50 years. Yeah, I haven't won a game in forever. They've been occasionally. I I just look at Detroit, Carson, and I I see the upside, which is that you're going to one of the worst teams in the NFL. You're going to have some opportunities. Maybe you'll be able to get on the field a little bit earlier and do some things. I'm just looking at long-term prospects of his career, Carson, and I see the Detroit Lions, and I see an organization that just can't get it right over decades and decades and decades. It's just, you know, the NFL doesn't have a minor league. The NFL doesn't have relegation. You know what the NFL has? The NFL has Detroit. And God forbid that you're one of the unlucky ones who finds your way to Detroit because they just ruin everything. And I – Gosh, Carson, I want to be optimistic, but I'm telling you, I was just so excited to see where Malcolm wound up. And then when Detroit called his name, it was like this this wave came over me from head to toe, just this feeling of, oh, no, not Detroit. So I, I don't know, Carson. Talk me off the ledge. Well, I think he went to the perfect head coach for him to make the team. Dan oh. Campbell is a crazy person. He said he wants his players to, like, bite the kneecaps off of other other teams. He drinks like three or four giant coffees that are just infused with all the caffeine you can, a human being can possibly inhale. And I just think he's going to fall in love with, with Malcolm Rodriguez. I think he's probably a reason Malcolm was drafted to Detroit. I think, I think uh, Campbell saw his tape and said, this guy can play football. He don't care about his measurables. And I thought this was a great tweet I got from, from Nathan Peterson, the great defensive end that played at Oklahoma state. He and I were buds in college. He's, he tweeted at me and said, uh, Rodriguez will be the type of player in camp that simply makes it impossible for you to cut him. And I think that's true. I think he's going to get in camp. He's going to outplay guys that have much better draft capital than him. And sometimes that's what get, gets you cut. Uh, Gabe Eichert talked about on Twitter during the draft that he was cut for a guy that was drafted higher than him because he was an undrafted free agent. And the guy said, my job's on the line if I, if I cut the guy I drafted and keep you. So it's kind of a business there's a business side of this too, but I think going to, to Campbell, that's a, that's a feather in his cap. And I think where Rodriguez is really going to play right away and make the team is special teams. You mentioned his ability to get off blocks. We know about his 40 time. He is going to be on punt and kickoff coverage. He's going to beat everyone down the field. And he's going to make tackles. And that's really going to make it hard for the lions to cut him is when he's making every single tackle on special teams. So that's, that's how a lot of linebackers in the NFL just get their foot in the door and stay in the league until they're actually an every down player is you can make, you can make a roster strictly on special teams. People don't view the NFL that way, but it's absolutely true. And I think that'll help them too. 
Yeah, I mean, that's that's a pretty good job of talking me off the ledge. Dan Campbell is a crazy person who will love every bit of Malcolm Rodriguez's wrestling background. And Dan Campbell's the guy who will love those intangibles, right? All that toughness stuff, getting leverage. I mean, like you said, Dan Campbell, he's a kneecap biter. And I, I think uh, there could be a little a little kneecapper in Malcolm Rodriguez, too. So that's the plus side. I'm, I'm not down on Malcolm Carson. I just, I think it's an instinctive reaction to another Oklahoma State great winding up in Detroit. We're only a year removed from the Detroit Pistons, who they have two good stints in their franchise's history. Other than that, they've been a disaster. They had the bad boys, and then they had uh, the Wallaces and, and those guys. Other than that, disaster. Cade goes there a year ago. It's like, oh, cool. Cade to Detroit. That stinks. And now, one year later, oh, Malcolm to Detroit. Okay, cool. That stinks. It, it just... I, uh, I'm still high on Malcolm. I think he'll be a good player in the NFL. I just, man, I was hoping, you know, Chargers, Broncos, Cowboys, Dolphins, just one of these teams that I could get excited about watching him on Sunday. And that's another thing, Carson. Now if I want to watch Malcolm Rodriguez play, I have to find a way to watch a Detroit Lions game that's not on Thanksgiving, <laughs> which is also a little bit of a bummer. Well, Oklahoma State fans have a jaded history with Detroit. And think about this. Think about the state of Oklahoma, Colby. Four of the best players ever played at Oklahoma had to go to Detroit. You think of Billy Sims, Steve Owens, Ryan Broyles, Teddy Lehman, all drafted by Detroit. For some reason, Detroit just can't quit the state of Oklahoma. They make it tough on us to watch, you know, local players. So that's just – it's another one. But, again, I, I actually was surprisingly optimistic when I saw Detroit next to his name for the okay. reasons I mentioned. Did you mention Brandon Pettigrew too, by the way? Uh, Brandon Pettigrew. That's another one I've, I've yep. forgotten. Yep, they minimized uh, his talent too. Yeah, that's true. He, he played there a long time, too. Um, but you you are going to be able to watch some Dallas Cowboys games this year, Colby, and Devin Harper also taken in the sixth round. See, with, with Malcolm, I was pleasantly surprised. I was very surprised and very happy that Devin Harper got drafted. It seemed like he was being completely overlooked in the draft process. Adam Lunt was banging this drum on Twitter that he couldn't believe with the season he had with his measurables and all those things that Devin Harper was being so overlooked. Well, the NFL wasn't overlooking him because Jerry Jones, who also loves drafting Oklahoma State players, took him in the sixth round. That had to be a great landing spot for you after the disappointment of Detroit. Yeah, it was. Whenever that came up, I'm like, oh, here we go. Some good news. Devin Harper uh, going from the Cowboys to the Cowboys. And it'll be a good spot for Devin Harper. I think that he'll make the team, and I think that he'll be a rotation guy for Dallas, Carson. I, I've been really beating the Devin Harper drum all offseason. I just, you know, Malcolm was so great that I feel like Devin Harper got a little bit overlooked. He, he just, he had an unbelievable season. That play that he made in Bedlam, I mean, that just encapsulates everything that is Devin Harper. He comes by, he misses on Caleb Williams. Caleb's going to go pick up the first down and more, potentially win the game for OU. And Devin Harper gets back up off the turf, chases him down, and takes him down before he can pick up that first down. He's just, he, he's high motor. He's going to work hard. Uh, and he's a great player. So, yeah, I think that that was a great spot for him in Dallas. And, again, like you said, I love that spot because I watch – I was going to say 16. I watched 17 Dallas Cowboy games a year plus the first-round playoff exit. So that's 18 for the Dallas Cowboys, 18 times. I'll get to watch Devin Harper. And he gets to team up with James Washington, who's now a Dallas Cowboys. So some more Oklahoma State Cowboys. Jerry Jones loves drafting dudes from OSU, and that's, that's great for, for Dallas fans like yourself. And I think it's a good spot for him just position-wise. They obviously have Micah Parsons, the superstar they drafted a year ago. He's kind of an edge-type linebacker. They bring back uh, Leighton Vander Esch, who's had 
many, many injury issues already. And behind him at middle linebacker, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of playing time to be had. So I think this is a situation where, you know, a lot of times, you know, the, the, the draft cliche is sometimes you don't want to get drafted in the seventh round because you can kind of sign as a free agent with a, you know, a depth chart that's more feasible for you to make the team. I think this is the best of both worlds. He gets drafted. He gets not only drafted, he gets drafted by the Dallas Cowboys, and he gets drafted to a position group that seemingly he could step right in and get some playing time. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that he could. Um, I don't know how immediate that will be. Obviously, injuries are totally unpredictable. And in, in the NFL, more games, more injuries, more things like that. So he definitely could get some playing time as a rookie. Uh, you just don't know, obviously, how he fits with the other guys who are there. But uh, again, I'm really high on him. I think that he'll be a good player. And it, it's just, I'd be really shocked if either of those guys aren't 53-man roster guys come day one. That would just absolutely shock me if either one of them missed the roster. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's, you know, you would have liked them to go sooner, but I think it's a, it's a great, um, great endorsement of the defense that we saw at Oklahoma State. They're getting guys drafted in the NFL draft. And that wasn't all seventh round pick Christian Holmes, the transfer came in from Missouri. I thought really, you know, he kind of struggled at first Colby coming to Stillwater when he first got on the field, but I thought he really blossomed into one of the cornerstones of that great defense last year. You know, he's a big physical corner. He's, you know, he's 5'11", 200 pounds, which is great size, even at the NFL level for, for a corner. Uh, he was all big 12 second team. And I thought his emergence at corner, you know, because you, you were the captain of the Rodarius Williams uh, bandwagon. We were both worried about the corner position uh, last year coming into it. And I thought he really blossomed and really earned, earned uh, his way into the NFL draft. Yeah, he absolutely did. Another underrated player on that defense. We wondered what Oklahoma State was going to do without Rodarius Williams. Uh, Christian Holmes is what they were going to do without Rodarius Williams. He was great on that side of the field. You, you don't have the success that you have as a team defense if you're just not good at all three levels. And Oklahoma State was good at all three levels. Christian Holmes was a big part of that. He A lot of the times, he didn't have help. Let's remember now, Jim Knowles, uh, blitzing downs for Jim Knowles were first, second, and or third. So a lot of times on the edge as a corner, you're just kind of out there and you're asked to do your job. Uh, now, if you're bringing seven guys, hopefully you don't have to do your job for too long. But Christian Holmes, uh, from his, I, I, with COVID, I don't know if it was junior, senior, from his second to last year to his last year, I thought took a massive massive leap and was a key part of that defense uh i don't like having to root for any former cowboys who wind up in the nfc east and are not dallas cowboys so that's going to make that a little tricky for me with christian holmes uh don't want to see him out there d'ing up james washington carson yeah i was going to say that might happen this year that would be uh that'd be worlds colliding there um before we i want to add a stat for you from barry trammell on just the osu in the draft but you mentioned kenny pickett going to pittsburgh did they not just draft Mason Rudolph, you know, small hands, 24 years old. Uh, he didn't have near the career I thought Mason had in college, but that's not a good sign for Mason. They're drafting a 24-year-old quarterback in the first round. Did they basically just draft Mason Rudolph again, <laughs> this time with the 20th overall pick? Yeah, I mean, I think Mason Rudolph's time in Pittsburgh is pretty close to being done. I mean, look, he – he had a couple chances to fill in whenever Big Ben was injured, and he didn't really make a case to be that guy. So they went out and got Trubisky in the offseason. Trubisky, I think, is probably a placeholder until they feel like they can at least try Pickett. I, I don't know. This uh, this screamed to me. This guy was in our backyard, and we watched him a bunch, so we picked him. I, I 
totally did not understand it. I thought there were a lot of other places that they could have gone, but maybe as an organization, they look at themselves right now and they're like, look, we're not a Super Bowl team at this moment. So let's just try to swing at a quarterback and see if we hit. Uh, but yeah, Carson, I think Mason Rudolph's days in Pittsburgh are numbered. Now he'll wind up somewhere else in the NFL as a backup. Uh, but I think at this point with, with how long he's been in the league uh, and some of the, the chances that he's gotten had made the absolute most out of him. I think he's probably a career backup at this point, uh, but his time in Pittsburgh is probably winding down yeah i'm like you like you know i'm an osu guy I went to school there uh covered mason when he was oklahoma state but you got to be real he's had a lot of opportunities when, when big ben's been hurt to to put up or shut up and he, his numbers just haven't been good when he's gotten starts uh he just hasn't produced and in the nfl it's stands for not for long if you don't produce when you when given an opportunity and i think the fact they signed mitch trubisky was kind of wh where they thought uh, what they thought about Mason moving forward. And then they draft, you know, Pickett in the first round. And I, I think Pittsburgh, they, they think they're a playoff team still, if they can just get a quarterback. So I think that's why they would have taken a picket over a, you know, more of a project like a Malik Willis. I think they, they feel like they need, just need a quarterback that can produce and they'll be fine with their defense and they can actually, you know, make the playoffs. And I think Mike Tomlin and that organization, they're anti-tank. They're not going to tank. They're going to try and keep that boat afloat. And I think that's why they went with Pickett because the, the rap on him is he's 24 years old and he's ready to play right now, even though he really didn't do much of anything until his very last year. And his schedule that he played looked like an ACC basketball schedule, not an ACC football schedule. So I'm, I'm all the way out on Kenny Pickett being, being a great quarterback, but well, let's see where Mason lands. And Hey, Colby, it's, if he can just replicate Chase Daniels career, that's a great career. I think Chase Daniels made close to $40 million by holding a clipboard. So I'm rooting for Mason to, to keep a, keep a clipboard job at the very, very, very minimum. Yeah. Stay in the league, stay employed, keep making money. It's, I feel like Carson, there is this, I don't want to call it a stigma. I don't know what the word is I want to use here, but when a guy is great at the quarterback position in college, and I mean, great Mason Rudolph was a great college quarterback. When that guy goes to the NFL and doesn't have a ton of success and ends up being a career backup, then it's like everybody just wants to put them down and uh, look, look down on their career and almost have some sort of like revisionist history for how good they were in college. It's okay to be great in college and not be great in the NFL. There aren't that many guys who are great in, in that league. It's just, it's a very different level than the big 12 that Mason Rudolph was playing in. He was a great college quarterback. He's been good enough in the NFL to keep a job and to get some opportunities. Hopefully he can continue to do that. Not everybody's Tom Brady. Not everybody comes into the league and is immediately Justin Herbert and Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes and these guys. There are a bunch of Mason Rudolphs throughout the history of the NFL who have just kind of been productive guys, backup quarterbacks, be a placeholder, make a bunch of money and, and try to win a game whenever you're called upon. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that at that level. So hopefully Mason can do that for another six, seven, eight years. Yep, I would agree. And again, Oklahoma State has three guys drafted, and this is a, a huge credit to Mike Gundy, Barry Trammell, and his uh, scissor tails column. Uh, brought up this stat. It's very, very telling to the job Mike Gundy's done without, you know, a bunch of first-rounders on his team. Over the last five years, only nine teams in the AP final top ten had just three draft picks or fewer. Oklahoma State was one of those. Uh, Notre Dame, actually, this year was one of those as well. Um, they had two picks, but one of them was a first rounder. But so to me, Colby, that just kind of illustrates what we've talked for so long about is that, you know, Gundy, despite not getting these elite recruiting classes, he's finishing 
you know, in the, in the AP top 10 this year, they're one of the 10 winningest programs over the last decade. And, and again, you can, we can pick apart Mike Gundy's recruiting. We can, we can talk day and night and we do, but the fact is the guy wins and he doesn't need a whole lot of first round caliber talent to do so. Carson, it would be like if I took a hundred dollar bill and went into Walmart and you took a $20 bill and went into Walmart and you came out with more for your 20 than I came out with for my hundred. That's what Mike Gundy is doing at Oklahoma state. He's taking less money. He's taking less resources. He's taking less history. He's taking less tradition and he's going out and he's winning football games. He's putting guys in the NFL. And, and then we get to see the laughing stock Texas again, that just, they've had all these classes and then they just don't put anybody in the NFL and they don't win any games. They're doing the opposite. They're taking more resources, more tradition, more history, more everything, and they're making less out of it. Mike Gundy uh, has done a great job with what really, I mean, in the grand scheme of things in college football, yes, Oklahoma State has nice facilities and stuff like that, but recruiting budgets, things of that nature, Oklahoma State, history, tradition, Oklahoma State is a, a little lower down on the totem pole uh, on a lot of that stuff, especially recruiting budget-wise and things of that nature, and Mike Gundy just makes the absolute most out of it, uh, and I think that the longer his career the longer his tenure goes on at Oklahoma State, the more we're all starting to realize that and appreciate it, which is definitely a good thing. Yep, absolutely. Do you know the last time Texas had an offensive player taken in the first round? In the first round? Mm -hmm. Oh, man, let's go. Boy, I don't even know how far I would have. First round. McCoy? I don't know. Was he a first-round guy? I have no idea. He was not. Um, I mean, was it more recent than that, though? Connor Williams. Was, no, Connor Williams was a second-rounder, I think. I don't know. Just tell me. Vince Young, oh 2006. Woo! <laughs> I talk I, about, and again, this is why every year when Texas is ranked up there, when everyone's picking them to beat Oklahoma State, you just sit there and go, who is making a difference? Do they have any difference makers on offense? That's before we even get to the defense they've been playing for the last decade. It's just, it's a tale as old as time. They just, they don't have difference makers on the offensive side of the football. They just don't. And the fact that Vince Young's their last first-round pick they've had on offense just speaks volumes. And so I'm sure when, when preseason poll time comes around, they'll be ranked ahead of Oklahoma State. And I'm going to laugh, and I'm going to bet the Texas under win total. And, that, and that'll be good for everyone else involved who does the same. I have to ask, since we're talking about offensive difference makers for Texas or lack thereof, did you see the tweet last week? of the breaking news from a source in Austin, Texas, that Bijan Robinson was going to be an integral part of the offense this year. Yeah. It was like sources, right? From Mike Farrell, from uh, Rivals, one of the main oh, guys at Rivals. All caps, source. Running backs have had an unbelievable spring. Bijan Robinson, Roshan Johnson expected to be big parts of the offense this fall. And, and it was presented as if it was this big breaking news, as if it was the DeAndre Hopkins news from this afternoon. This big breaking news. Yeah, thanks, buddy, for letting us know that Bijan Robinson is going to be used in the Texas offensive system. We appreciate that. I have a source. Uh, sources tell me that Spencer Sanders is going to be the starting quarterback this year. Wow. You go and credit me with that. In, wow. In we're breaking that out in May. That's uh, you must have a good source. Yeah, I got I got two eyeballs. That's my that's my source. Just like I have two eyeballs saying Bijan Robinson is Texas's offense. Thanks, it's thanks, so, Mike. It's just so ridiculous. That it's was that, that was probably your BB. <laughs> everything from Austin is ridiculous, including their uh, baseball team, which can't hold on to a seven nothing lead through seven, six innings. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that. How about Oklahoma State sweeping Texas and and really the icing on the cake is they were trailing seven nothing, and then just 
you know, just demoralize them and to beat them 10 to eight. And just I'll tell you what, Colby, this is, this is the best Oklahoma state team. Gosh, in a very long time, maybe since the team that should have hosted a super regional, um, my memory's fading on me. Did they make it to Omaha more recently than that? Uh, they did. They made it to Omaha f- four years ago, five Something years like ago. That, yeah. Like that. Yeah. But this team, Carson, this, this team's really good. They've got some special players on this team. Uh, my favorite player that probably since Jordy Mercer is uh, the man they call Hokage. I'm not sure what this nickname comes from, but Griffin Dorshing, the guy that hit the grand slam. Again, he's been mentioned on this show. He wears number 52. Colby, he's like if Brian Bosworth and Pete Incavilia had a kid. So got, good. He looks like the Boz. He hits it as far as in Cavilia. He's built like a damn defensive lineman. And the dude's just got unlimited power. I mean, he kind of like just sawed one off on that, on that uh, grand slam. He got just a quick little swing and it's just, it goes yard. And he already dented a stadium, his pinned tweet on his Twitter account. He, he dented a building that's like way out, way out of left field. And uh, that's what's been missing. I felt like in the, the last, you know, five, 10 years, whenever Holiday got to, Oklahoma State, one of his main talking points was he wanted to add more power on the team. They had kind of turned into a, you know, a singles type hitting team. And now they got some power to go with some, some good pitching as well. And I, I tell you what, Colby, they, they're ranked third in the country. You mentioned they're, they're trending toward a national seed. The fact that they're going to be able to probably host it at O'Brate, the, the orange carpet to Omaha awaits because it's, it's been a tremendous season so far. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of feels like Omaha or bust at this point. I know in a three-game Super Regional, anything can happen. And obviously, national seeds get upset in their regionals all the time, too. That's baseball. Sometimes a pitcher has a bad day. We've talked about that. By the way, it was 2016 the last time Oklahoma State went to Omaha. But prior to 2016, hadn't been since 1999. Uh, so Josh Holliday doing a great job in Stillwater. Yes, Griffin Dershing, his, uh, his home run that he hit yesterday, that grand slam in the seventh inning. I mean, he just, like, flipped the bat at that ball kind of sawed off his finish and it came off the bat like an absolute missile. It looked like Bryson DeChambeau hitting a golf ball. He just smoked it. It was gone. Everybody knew it. He's a ton of fun to watch. And Oklahoma State, they they found a couple of these guys who can pitch and be position players and hit. Houston Morrill, he threw in that game whenever I was up there last Sunday. Nolan McLean comes in. These guys are throwing mid-90s. These are, these are position players. You're throwing on the mound to throw mid-90s, so those could be some X factors. Justin Campbell is just a certified ace. I mean, you don't want to see this, dude, if you're an opponent. He's so, so good. Bryce Osmond had a great outing uh, on Saturday. And then yesterday, Carson, we see this from this team. What was it? A couple of weeks ago, uh, I think it was against ORU, I, I believe, where they were down like eight runs, came back, send it to extra innings. They end up losing the game, uh, but a lot of fight. And then yesterday, you're down seven to nothing on the road. Carson, you've already won the series. Oklahoma State won Friday and Saturday. You're down seven nothing, but you've already won the series. Your work is done. It is easy to mail it in at that point get in the clubhouse, and get back to Stillwater. And they didn't do it. They came out and put a 10 spot on them in the top of the seventh. I'm just so, so crazy impressed with the buy-in that Josh Holiday has for this team. And I cannot wait to watch regionals and super regionals. 
just get to Omaha and you just never know what can happen. Tennessee is a huge favorite. They've got an unbelievable uh, baseball team this year. They're, you look at the Vegas odds and they are massive favorites to win the national championship. But just get up there and see what happens. Uh, I like Oklahoma State's team and I, I really hope that we see them in Omaha this year. Yeah, that'd be great. They got Southeast Missouri State, then a one-game series with Dallas Baptist, then they finish with a three-game series against Texas Tech and Baylor to fin finish the year, and then they're on to the Big 12 Championship. So that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. A couple of quick notes here on the transfer portal. Rondell Walker uh, entered the portal for Oklahoma State basketball. Uh, disappointing local kid, one of our favorites, Colby. Um, it's been kind of a you know, this is the kind of day and age I understand with, with college basketball in particular, but man, they've had a lot of guys enter the portal and my boy has got some, some holes to fill. Yeah, it's the whole Big 12. Oklahoma State's actually about middle of the pack in terms of players on the roster who've entered the portal with five Kansas State leads with nine players in the portal. There's about 1,400 total players in the portal nationwide. College sports is different. College athletics is different. Everyone's freaking out over the transfer portal, the NIL. This is new look collegiate athletics. You can either get on board or you can just be upset every day about it. Guys want to go find the best position for them. And I don't know some of these guys that Oklahoma state is losing. I feel like, I feel like the reason they're transferring is because they didn't have a real fit at Oklahoma state. I mean, Rondell Walker, he was so good as a freshman and Matthew Alexander Moncrief showed a lot of potential as a freshman, but I'm starting to wonder how much of that was Cade influence. Cause I feel like we saw a little bit of a regression for both of those guys in the sophomore season. And I don't know if that was because the minutes were less consistent as Mike Boynton was trying to ride the hot hand or, or if they just, I, I don't know, or if they just didn't really have it without Cade out there creating stuff for everybody else. I don't really know what it is, Carson, but in, in new look collegiate athletics, I mean, this is going to be an every year thing where probably two, three, four, five guys hop in the portal for basketball and you've got to go out and replace them with somebody. And uh, yeah, some big news on the replacing front today as well, Carson. Yeah. They added uh, high point transfer, John Michael Wright, which look, I don't watch a lot of high point basketball, but the stats don't lie. He's averaged 18 points per game. He can shoot it 36% from three point range. Uh, he scored 20 or more points in 33 career games. So they've got some holes to fill, but it looks like they got a score, which, as we all know, that was their, their biggest bugaboo last year. Yeah, absolutely was. And three-point shooting as well. He's a career 34.6% three-point shooter, but that's on a ton of volume. I mean, he was handling the ball a bunch down at high point. Uh, all Big South both years that he was down there. So I think that he will – play some point guard for Oklahoma State. A lot of this, Carson, also depends on what Avery Anderson ends up doing. You know, he's testing the waters in the draft process. I expect him to come back, uh, but that's just me guessing. I, I don't think that he had quite the year that he wanted to devolve himself to that level, and I think he's going to want to come back and try to do that again. Uh, but I expect this transfer from high point to come in and get quite a bit of time at point guard, which is where uh, he's comfortable with the ball in his hands. He's, he's a volume scorer uh, who can pass a little bit, but he's a scorer first as a point guard. Uh, so hopefully he can be a little more efficient at Oklahoma State if he's not having to jack it up in such high volumes. Uh, but yeah, I'm optimistic that he can come in and uh, he might be a day one starter for Oklahoma State. The transfer portal has been kind of hit or miss during Borton's time. You got, you know, Farron Flavors didn't really work. Jonathan Laurent didn't really work. But Musa Cisse, that's working. Uh, Bryce Thompson, that sure seems to be working. So uh, it's been about 50-50 for Boynton in the transfer portal. Hopefully this guy winds up on the good side. Yeah, and that's just, you know, Colby, college basketball has enough problems going on just 
in terms of fan interest and the, the product being down because guys just go pro if they have a chance to go pro at all. This transfer portal and just the massive movement. I mean, OU had you know two of their top guys enter the portal as well. You mentioned OSU's middle of the pack in the Big 12. Don't you think this is going to just wreck an already you know dwindling sport of college basketball in terms of fan interest? Just because we're not going to know who's on the team from year to year now, even more so than we did before the, the transfer portal went crazy. Yeah, it's uh, until it normalizes a little bit, and I don't know when that will be, and I, maybe it doesn't normalize. I don't know. Uh, maybe they, they put some restrictions on the portal. Maybe they don't. But it, it's – I don't know, Carson. At this point, the level of fan interest in college basketball, I think is just – it's plateaued, and I think it's just kind of going to be where it's at for a while, at least in this state. I mean, the Thunder are still here. They're still going to be here. OU and OSU are just kind of so-so. I think that anytime either one of those programs have a great team and a great year, you know, top five, top ten in the country, then I think fans are going to show up. I think everybody's going to get really excited. I think on years whenever you're going eight and ten in conference play in the Big 12, I mean, yeah, I think there's going to be 6,000 people at games. So, uh, I, I don't know. It's great to, to reminisce on the old days whenever you're in, you're, you're out, you could name all five starters and the, the four guys who were going to be in the rotation coming off the bench. That's just not really going to be the case in college basketball anymore and kind of just have to accept it. Yeah, it's just kind of is what it is at this point until they, you know, reform some of the transfer rules and, and things of that nature. But I don't know. I'm pretty down on, on college basketball as a whole. All right, let's get to uh, bullets and BBs. Colby, what do you got for a, uh, a bullet this week? A bullet bullet is going. I mean, how can I not, Carson, give it to the Oklahoma State baseball program? Just so, so good in Austin this weekend. Friday was a little bit uh, of a battle, but then Saturday, you just come out and beat them to a drum. And Sunday, I actually checked Twitter whenever it was seven to nothing. I thought, wow, there you go. You win the first two, and then you just completely lay an egg on Sunday. And then I, uh, I, I wasn't keeping an eye on it anymore. I got a text from my mom, said top of the seventh inning is currently at 48 minutes. And I'm like, okay, you don't get to 48 minutes unless a lot has happened in that half inning. So I uh, checked it out. Oklahoma State put a 10 spot on them. Pretty, pretty sweet. Uh, Josh Holiday doing a great job. Can't wait to watch this team in the postseason. Hopefully they can make a run. No, I'm with you. That was, that was fun to watch. Um, this bullet, I'm not going to give it to myself. I'm not going to give it up to myself. Instead, I'm going to give it to Jelani Woods for going in the third round. You know, I – People thought I kept receipts of all the, the nonsense I'd get in my mentions. Oh, you can't, Johnny can't catch. Every time they throw it to him, he drops it. There's a reason they don't throw him the ball. No, 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 no. Johnny Woods is going on the Tyree Kill All Star team of guys that were underutilized at Oklahoma State that will have a better pro career than a college career. You know, people used to think, oh, Tyron Johnson's not any good. He just, he just had a lot of hype out of high school. You couldn't hack it at OSU. He, he's still in the NFL. They, guys, they just literally can't keep him off rosters because he's a good player. And I knew that in the moment. Same with Jelani Woods. He really bet on himself by going to Virginia. I thought that was a weird landing spot at first, but they clearly sold him on the idea they were going to utilize him in the, in the passing game. They did. He tested off the charts at his pro day. And, man, he goes high. I mean, third-round draft pick. You think he would have come in handy on the goal line against Baylor, Colby? I think you would have, and that's a pretty early third-round pick, by the way, going 73 there to yeah. the Colts. 
And that's a team that's in win now mode. So, I mean, Jelani could be an impact guy as a rookie that we could see uh, playing in playoff games, Carson. I, I think that that's a great offensive line. It's a good but not great defense, but they're not a bad defense. They're uh, middle of the pack, maybe a little bit better even. And getting Matt Ryan in there, you got Michael Pittman now. Jonathan Taylor, obviously, is one of, if not the best running back in the NFL at the moment. So, I love the spot for Jelani, and I just hope he lights it up in the yeah, NFL. Yeah, I mean – He'd be worth a, uh, you know, last round in your fantasy draft. Like we're always looking for a tight end that does anything past, you know, the top four or five guys. I mean, he could be a good yep. uh, sleeper fantasy guy this year. Yeah, he could. If uh, if you're one of those people who thinks he can't catch, I guess don't draft him. And if he puts up two touchdowns on you that week, that's on you. Well, at least we had one carry of the the woodshed package, the Jelani Dozer, that again, with his size, makes the Belldozer look like a Prius. So we at least got one carry of that. And I just... We're going to be watching him in the NFL going, what if? That's why he's going to go down as, as one of the, um, the Tyreek Hill all-stars, that I like to call him. So yeah. what do you got for uh, a bullet? Or I'm sorry, a BB. A BB, Carson, is going to the University of Texas. Now, this is not just because of baseball. This is a triangle here. We've got three sides. Number one is baseball. You, you let Oklahoma State come down there, both top 10 teams, come back from a 7 to nothing deficit on Sunday and really just kind of embarrass you in your home park. So that's number one for Texas. Number two is this goofy guy on Twitter with his report that we talked about earlier, sources, and you're not actually reporting anything. And number three, Carson, is the NFL draft, which every year has just turned into a way for everyone to point out the failures of Texas's football program over the last decade, basically since Mac Brown left, since that Colt McCoy team, uh, he got injured in 09 and they just never bounced back. So it's just everything for Texas. They just can't get out of their own way. Carson, let's make it a square. How about last Wednesday at Whispering Pines? Texas golf team has a three-shot lead with like four holes to play. And what do they do? They all bogey the 18th hole and end up finishing third behind both OU and OSU. There's just something in the water down there in Austin that prevents them from being successful. My BB goes to the entire University of Texas athletic department. I love that one. We could do that every week. It could be like a weekly segment, just our our – our BB brought to you by uh, Austin, Texas. That'd be good. Yep. That's a that's a good one. Uh, my BB, it's praise for Dave Aranda, who named Blake Shapin the starting quarterback the day before the the portal closed, knowing full well that that Jerry Bohannon or Gary Bohannon, I still can't remember the guy. It's Jerry or Gary. He did it knowing full well Bohannon would enter the transfer portal. He did, and that's going to you know. That kills his depth at the quarterback position, but he wanted to do the right thing. He, he, he talks about it, and he is about it. And my BB goes to Lincoln Riley, who tried to convince the world that Austin Kendall was going was gonna to push Kyler Murray to the brink of the bench, claiming, oh, it's just tight competition. He names Kyler Murray the starting quarterback nine days before the season opener to, to lock up Austin Kendall for another year, knowing full well he wasn't going to play. Then he brings in Jalen Hurts over Austin Kendall, who then tries to transfer to West Virginia. Lincoln blocks his transfer to West Virginia. And now you got Lincoln tampering with uh, the wide receiver from Pittsburgh who won the Blitnikoff, Jordan Addison. This guy is a snake oil salesman. And, man, this guy is just – he has no concern. He, he always acts like he's so concerned about the student-athletes. He is concerned about one thing. And that's Lincoln Riley. And so you, there's two, there's more than one way to win at college football. You can do it the right way, like a Dave Aranda, 
or you can try and cut every single corner imaginable, including breaking the rules like Lincoln Riley. And I just, this guy, he is just, he's something else, man. It's, it's unbelievable. This guy. Carson, I love the movie Christopher Nolan's trilogy, The Dark Knight, with Heath Ledger as the Joker. It was such a great movie because it had such a great villain. Lincoln Riley is so good for college football because now it started out with OU's fan base, right? They they lost their minds. But now everybody's kind of getting in on it. And Lincoln Riley is, I don't know that I want to say embracing it, but I don't think he's too worried about his reputation nationally. And I feel like college football is getting to this place where it's going to have a villain in Lincoln Riley. And it's fascinating to watch because, I mean, obviously Oklahoma State hasn't been on the wrong end of any of this. OU was on the wrong end of it. And and they've thrown temper tantrums the whole offseason. And now Pittsburgh's getting upset. And Carson, I agree. He kind of is starting to look like a slime ball. But I think it's great for college football to have a true villain in Lincoln Riley. And if USC can have any success at all, I think that the ratings, I mean, let's say not this year, but next year, in two years, they get to the playoff. Oh, my gosh. Everybody's going to be tuned in because you either you, you love Lincoln Riley and you love his just no bleeps given attitude and you want to root for him or you just absolutely hate his guts because he's a slime ball. I think it's good for college football. Uh, and I think he's positioning himself as the villain. Yeah, I think he's Two-Face, and I think Colin Cowherd's the Joker. Oh, okay. Because okay. Colin Cowherd has, like, gone full Skip Bayless with, with his Lincoln Riley love. He's just, he just trying to rile people up now with some of, the, some of the nonsense he spews about what Lincoln Riley's going to do at USC, even though they won four games last year. So I think they're kind of joined at the hip now. They're like partners in crime. So you got, like, Two-Face and, and the Joker running around Los Angeles. Yeah, they absolutely are partners in crime. And Cowherd is – Look, I think that some of the stuff Cowherd does is good. Some of it's awful. But everybody should realize about Cowherd, he's just trying to say whatever he needs to say to make you watch and make you click. And if he has decided to position himself as I'm the Lincoln Riley lover because everybody's going to hate watch me, then that's what he's going to do. And if you're hate watching him, then he's winning. So keep that in mind. Yeah, exactly. You know, He knows what he's doing. That's for oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, Colby, anything else before we get out of here? Uh, don't believe so. Some, uh, I'm trying to think if there's anything big sporting events going on this week. I think it's Southeastern Missouri state hosting this weekend for baseball, Bedlam softball Thursday night, got moved to ESPN, got flexed to the ESPN spot, Bedlam softball. Let's get it. That'll be good. Um, oh yeah. One last thing. Were you, were you up in a tree at Southern Hills watching Tigers practice round? I was not up in a tree at Southern Hills. I had a friend of a friend who was sending me some videos and giving me permission to post and essentially take credit for. Uh, so, no, that was just a good time to have good friends. Yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> that was wild. They had the chopper <laughs> on, on the putting green as he was in practice putts. Uh, Tiger fevers hit Tulsa, and I can't wait. I know you're going to be up there for the PGA Championship. I'm going to be up there Saturday and Sunday. So, if you see Colby, Colby or I up and out and about at Southern, uh, don't don't hesitate to say hello. We love hearing from our our listeners, and, and thanks for listening. And uh, Colby, we'll we'll get back with you uh, later this week, or maybe even next week. We'll have to see. Yep, sounds like a plan. Also, I'll be out at Carson Creek next Wednesday for the final round of the NCAA Women's Regional. So come up and say hi that day as well. We're going to enjoy some great golf in this month of May here in the state of Oklahoma, Oklahoma State Athletics, uh, trending well here in the spring. Everybody have a great week. Stay safe in these storms. Go Pokes.